The reading today is John 15, verses 1 to 17, and it's found on page 901 of the Church Bibles. John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. And these things I command you so that you will love one another. Well, thank you to everyone who has uh, been leading and serving and helping this morning. Just uh, two or three things to say before we kick off. Uh, Firstly, uh, a number of you have uh, asked for a copy of the service or the talk from uh, Friday Dick's uh, Thanksgiving service on heaven. If you would like a a copy of that, uh, please email Uh, Naomi, you'll see the email address on the front of the order service, and we'll get that to you. Secondly, it's great to have, I think, um, something like 15 different nationalities who are part of the church family here. A number of you don't speak English as your first language, and we'd be very glad, I know this is beginning to happen in an informal way, to email you uh, the uh, talk or the sermon beforehand. Uh, Again, if you would like that, but perhaps haven't had the courage to ask for it, please do email the church office and we'd be very glad to do that uh, for you. And the last thing I'd like to say is, um, as we uh, grow and develop and change as a church, uh, there are a number of uh, folks uh, who uh, 
are single parents and sometimes um, I want to encourage them to bring their kids in here so they can uh, hear God's word and so their children build up trust and confidence uh, in people over time. And uh, so if it's a little bit uh, noisy, um, let's just really encourage these folks uh, to be here, to be part of the church family and feel very, very uh, welcome. So let me pray as we study God's word together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this uh, passage. It's a very helpful one, a very uh, clear one to understand, uh, but help us uh, to listen and by your Holy Spirit that it gets under our skin, whether we're young and old, and we'll really understand what the Lord Jesus is teaching. And we pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Now, having your Bibles open is really helpful, and so you can follow along and I can point you to um, the different parts of the passage, John 15, 1 to 17, and on the back of the service sheet, there's an outline which takes us through the logic. Now, John 13 to 17, uh, Jesus is with his disciples, the future apostles, the night before his death, and he is teaching them about the future. He is instructing them, but his instruction is uh, loving and caring um, as well. The instruction and care of the Lord Jesus that night was to his designate apostles, Peter, John, and the others, and in particular, the role that they would have. But Jesus' instruction and care is for all believers who follow them. His words of instruction and care are for us. It just struck me this week that that is an apt description of the content and purpose of Jesus' words or word, the Bible, instruction and care, or clarity and comfort, or truth in love. Now, John 13 to 17, there is a logical progression in Jesus' instruction, and that's illustrated with the arrow on the back of the service sheet. Jesus is going away. He is going to the cross and then following his resurrection to the Father. He's leaving them physically. He is going away, and the Holy Spirit will be given to them. Now, we could turn to, we did last week and we will again in two weeks' time, to some key verses on the Holy Spirit that makes it clear that Jesus going away physically and the Holy Spirit being given to the church and ultimately to us, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, is not less than having Jesus. It is indeed, in some respects, better, Jesus says, that he goes away and we have the Holy Spirit. Now, back to our logic. Jesus is going away. He will send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit lives within the believer. Jesus is going away. He will send the Holy Spirit, and we are to bear uh, fruit. And that's our passage, John 15, 1 to 17. Now, the context and the logic is really important. He is going away. He sends his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. 
And therefore, and because of that, as believers, we are to bear fruit. Now, getting that logic clear is so very important because we cannot, we never will be fruitful as Christians, truly fruitful, unless we are connected supernaturally to Jesus. And how are we connected supernaturally to Jesus? Through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Let me just quote from the passage immediately before ours. Jesus says, you know him, the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you. And then these crucial words, and will be in you. Now, whenever we listen to a bit of God's Word about Christian living or being fruitful or doing this or doing that because we are Christians, whenever we listen to instruction or imperatives or commands, we've always got to remember that these are given to us in light and logically following and in consequence of indicatives or who we are. So we cannot bear fruit without being connected to Christ. Or let me put it another way. We can't be like him unless he lives in us. And just stop there and think of the difference between imitating Jesus Christ as our example and him living in us and flowing out through us by his Spirit. What a difference. Now, Jesus' teaching in John 15, 1 to 17 is so helpful because it is so well illustrated. The picture is of a vine. Now, I've got my clicker, and Roger on the sound desk nearly fell over this morning, said, you, PowerPoint, modern. (laughs) I've never worked this before. So, the Lord Jesus really needs us to know what a vine looks like. And I didn't really know what a vine looked like. I thought I did, but here we go. Ah, one click. Right, that's, that's a vine, okay? And, of course, when Jesus is teaching using that illustration, he, he may have just said, well, there's one. And they just knew that. It lived in their culture. And you can see the vine and it's got like a big, big stem rooted in the earth. It comes up here and it goes to the right. Now, there's fruit on the vine. Let me just give you a... That's backwards. Oh, I thought I was doing so well. Uh, Doug, can you help me? That's the vine. And look, that's a close-up. So you can see the fruit, yeah? You can see the fruit on the vine. Let's go back to that. So that's a great picture to have in our minds. Um, Now listen, look and listen. I am the true vine. Jesus is the big bit in the middle. I am the true vine. You are the branches. The apostles... And then all Christian believers, you are the branches. Let me state the obvious. 
Jesus is the vine. We are not. We are the branches. Give us some more of Jesus' teaching. Keep looking at the picture. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, that's obvious, isn't it? Lop off the big bit at the bottom and there's no fruit. There are no grapes. As the branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do uh, nothing. Now, I'm going to leave the picture on the screen. Don't get distracted by it. I think pictures are there to help us. Jesus' words are the most powerful thing. But I'll leave it there and just in when you drift off, you'll catch it and come back. What does abide mean? That's not a common word, is it? But it's a key word in these verses, 10 times in all. Abide. Let me try and define it. It means to be engrafted, connected, part of someone. As the branch is engrafted, connected, part of the vine, so the Christian is engrafted, connected, part of Jesus. Now, maybe you're listening this morning and you're not a Christian. It's always great to have folks who come along who aren't Christians yet, but are really interested or brought along by a mate or whatever. And this gets us to the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is not someone who follows Jesus, essentially. A Christian is not someone who lives in a certain way. A Christian is someone who abides in Jesus, who is so intimately, supernaturally connected into him by the Holy Spirit. It's a living relationship. The word abide is a relationship word. We abide in him, he abides in us. There's a Scottish phrase, some of you might be thinking of it. Where, where does he bide? Or he, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That Scottish language from the person you live with or where you live. Where do they bide? Who do you bide with? It's a, an intimate sort of casual real life word. Jesus living in us through the Spirit us living in Jesus through the Spirit, the Spirit connects us with or into Jesus such that Jesus is in us and there is no separation. It is a living relationship where all the resources we need are in him and he is in us. What's it like? a vine with its branches. And what do we make of Jesus' words, apart from me, you can do nothing? Now, we might hear them as, you need my help. It's much, much more than that. Apart from me, you can do nothing means you need to be part of me. 
as a branch to the vine if you are going to bear fruit. Now, one other dimension to the word abide, another common translation, I think it's the NIV translation, the Greek word is remain in me. Remain in me in two senses. First, yes, I am going to the Father, but the Holy Spirit that I said will come to you, to be in you, connects me to you and you to me, such that I I am going physically, but I'm not going because I remain with you. Second, remain or abide Now, in the sense that if we are true believers, that relationship will not be broken. Nothing can separate us. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, you cannot be separated from Him ever again. That's a wonderful thing. We wax, we wane. But the Holy Spirit lives in us connecting us to Christ. But we can drift into a mindset, and I think this is the real danger if we get the logic of this wrong, of trying to be fruitful in our own strength. We forget the vine, the stem, the source of all our life. We start living not like this picture. Now, a little safety check before we think some more about what the fruit is that we are to bear. It's there in what Jesus says. Just look at verse 3. It's a very important little statement. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Again, if you are not a Christian, or maybe you are a Christian, but you're still not clear on this, a Christian, as we've seen, is someone who is intimately, supernaturally connected with Christ through the indwelling Spirit. They're alive to God. Christ is in them. But bearing fruit as a Christian is not in any way how we are made clean. Jesus says you are already clean. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you, the word concerning the cross where he will die to cleanse them. And it's really important that we understand that we are not to be fruitful for Jesus in order to be forgiven. We are to be fruitful because we have been forgiven. We've learned two important things about being a Christian. A Christian is someone who supernaturally, Christ lives in them. They're alive to God by the Spirit. And a Christian is someone who's reconciliation to God or salvation is due entirely to what Christ has done. And their life from then on, their fruitful life, is not in order to be saved, but because they have 
been saved. There is a liberty and a joy from the gospel. We do not obey or be fruitful in order to be accepted. We obey and are fruitful because we have been accepted through Christ. Now, let's think about the uh, fruit. There we are. I'm a dab hand with this. Let's think about the fruit we are to bear as believers. Now, in Jesus' teaching that night, some of the things he says are specifically addressed to the designated apostles. And we saw that last week, for example, in that the apostles are guided into the truth. They're, they're, Jesus says, I'll bring back through the Holy Spirit your remembrance of all that I've taught. So what we're reading here is, is a specific ministry, the apostles, to write this down. But the fruit that Jesus speaks about here in John 15 is generic to all believers. Now, what is the fruit? Now, it's not grapes. What is it? Two things. Love and joy. Or the other way around. In Jesus' teaching, joy and love. Now, it doesn't mean to say that's the only fruit we're going to see uh, later on in Jesus' teaching. There's other fruit like witness and evangelism, but here at this point, the fruit is joy and love. Let me read the key verses. They are 11 to 13. Just follow them with me in your Bibles. Uh, These things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. There's another thing we're learning about what a Christian is. Supernaturally connected to Christ through the Spirit. Saved by grace at the cross, and a friend of Jesus, no longer a servant. Again, verse 17, these things I command you so that you love one another. Joy and love, that's the fruit in this passage. Now, what is fullness of joy? Come to that. And what is sacrificial, servant-hearted love for one another. That's uh, what Jesus means here by love from the context. The one another are other believers. Love flows out beyond that, but in his mind here, love for one another. Fullness of joy and servant-hearted, sacrificial love. Now, I want us to think about a local church. That's just a a church like Chalmers. Many of you are here on holiday or visiting the church you are part of. Before Jesus speaks about the fruit that is witness, and that's a big, big part of being fruitful, telling people about Jesus. He says to a local church, now, 
He's speaking to the 11 apostles here. Judas has left the room. He's speaking to them about their relationship to one another. But he's speaking to churches about the relationships within local churches. And before he sends us out in witness, he says, what's got to characterize you in terms of the fruitfulness in your life as a local church is an abundance of joy and an abundance of love. You see the logic. Joy and love in a local church, and therefore, and on that basis, mission. Now, love and joy. Let me tell you what abundance of joy is. Now, I had a, I had a distraction this week. So I, you go off on a tangent. Sometimes tangents are bad. Let me hope that this was a good tangent. I looked through the whole of the New Testament as to what the Bible says about being joyful as Christians. And I came up with two things as dominant. One, joy is often spoken of alongside peace. The Christian reconciled to God through Jesus, joy stealing upon their hearts, knowing they are eternally saved. Joy, because we know we are eternally safe. That's a great thing. It's an extraordinary thing. It's a massive thing. It's sometimes a shocking thing. But it brings a deep, deep, unbridled joy, knowing that we are safe. And if joy is spoken of alongside peace, there's one other word, it's spoken of alongside hope, joy and peace and hope. And again, we're learning a lot about, I guess, what it means to be a Christian. Joy is not a kind of superficial or effusive or a surface thing. It's a kind of what uh, somebody described Dick Anderson as having was a settledness steadiness, an unperturbability in the face of storms, just joy in Jesus. Secondly, joy is often, I think most often, spoken of in the New Testament in terms of one believer's joy in another believer's life or progress. So joy in a church as you sit here and as I sit here, is, and let's be careful not to think it's a kind of superficial emotion. Often our emotions are, 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 are not joyful for all sorts of reasons, but it's the deep-rooted, deep-seated knowledge of who we are in Christ. That's across a church. That's a powerful, powerful, steadying thing. But the second dimension of joy in the New Testament is my joy in you or your joy in me, or your joy in one another. The Apostle Paul, for example, here's a couple of quotes from him, I rejoice in what has happened to you, or you are my joy and my crown. chap. Timothy. Is that right? 
You know what Timothy means? Loved by God. Timothy, where were we? Our joy and our crown. Or Paul says, make my joy complete by being of like mind. See how powerful it is when the joy that we are to experience as a church is joy in Jesus and joy in one another. It's not superficial in the sense that it's based on any other experience. Joy in Jesus, joy in one another. And joy is an exuberant word. It is an extreme emotion. It is a beautiful um, emotion. Now, don't hear this. Let's go back to the picture. Oh, the picture's already there. I need to find more joy. I need to work harder at being joyful. Rather, think, think of the vine. You are to be joyful as Christians because of Jesus. And the joy is in you with the Holy Spirit. It steals upon you often in the drizzle, sometimes in the storm, even in the valley of the shadow of death. Now, love. Sacrificial, servant-hearted love for other believers. Let me get practical here. What does it look like in the life of a local church? Here are some live examples. Don't worry, I'm not going to name anyone. It's always good to, to, to be able to give live examples of something like this, because if you can't, we've got a big problem on our hands. A couple giving a family a holiday because they don't have any money. That's sacrificial, servant-hearted joy. Love and joy, because they were joyful in doing it. Love for one another means to build up one another by teaching and by speaking the words of Jesus. Speaking the truth in love and saying important things, sometimes hard things. Sacrificial, servant-hearted love means loving people who are not easy to be loved. And that's the only naming I'm going to do that probably all of us are not always that easy to love. Or loving people who don't want to be loved. Some of the people in a church family who love the keenest just will not let people love them. It means not speaking ill of others, criticizing, undermining them. It means being with people as they rejoice, as they grieve. And we are a church family. This past week in the church family, we've had a family wedding and a family funeral. What an encouragement it is when people come and stand with those who rejoice and stand with those who grieve and put the chairs away at the end. And many of you did. Many would have had they not been on holiday. It's what a church family does. 
the love of people in a small group for one another. I was walking with someone recently, and I was asking them about their small group, and they said, oh, this person's... And I began to build up a picture of servant-hearted sacrificial love that centers on teaching the Word of God and praying and caring. And when that kind of love is present in a local church, it is a wonderful place to be, to belong to, when it's absent it is a very destructive place to be. Love for other believers, but also love more widely beyond the local church. I was in London recently meeting with funders and supporters of the Bonner Trust. These are people of integrity who will speak the truth in love, who will say difficult things if needed. They are not naive. They are not unrealistic about the state of the church, but all of them were discouraged, one of them tearful, by the disunity, the rivalries, the criticism amongst Christians, especially Christian uh, leaders. And Jesus knew what was ahead for the apostles that night in the room, and the opposition, and the difficulties, and the setbacks, and the discouragement. And so he said to them, as he says to us, and here we are in the realm of the wider relationships in the church of Christ. Love one another. Servant-hearted, sacrificial love. Fullness of joy, sacrificial, servant-hearted love. Now, let, me, let us conclude uh, with some consideration of how we are to bear fruit. Let's get back to the wide-angled lens. Firstly, by abiding. Now, we've been on this already. Love and joy is the fruit. Christian love and Christian joy. Whose love? Whose joy? Ours? Yes. Or Christ's? Yes. It's the same. Is it? Yes. There are many ministries that are unique to Christ, but the love of Christ and the love that wells up in us through the Holy Spirit is Christ-like love, not Christ-like in the sense that it's a bit like. It is Christ. It is Jesus in you, rendering you as a servant, a sacrificial servant for others. It is the love of Jesus. We do not love like Jesus. We love in Jesus, indwelt by the Spirit, and He in us. And His love and joy in us, flowing out through us. What flows through the vine? Flows through the branches. It is as one. And to grasp that is wonderful and exciting and challenging and humbling all at the same time and in the same measure. Listen to Jesus expressing this in his words, this integral relationship between his love and our love and his joy and our joy. Just follow with me from verse 9. As the Father has loved me, 
so have I loved you. His love for me, my love for you, abides in my love. The Son's love, the Father's love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. You see, Jesus is not simply saying his love flows out through us. The love that he has for us, the love that we have for one another, is like the love that the Father and the Son have for one another. These things I have spoken to you that my, here's joy, my joy may be in you so that your joy may be full. Mine, yours, same joy. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. How are we to bear fruit by abiding in Jesus Christ? Second, by obeying Jesus' word. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Verse 12, this is my commandment. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Obeying Jesus' word, the Bible produces spiritual fruit. And that is why day in, day out, listening to Jesus and his word, studying the Bible in our small groups. And what happens after years and years and years of just Bible teaching and Bible reading and Bible listening is there is fullness of joy and an abundance of love. It's what happens. We bear fruit by abiding in Jesus, by obeying his word, by praying to our Father. A couple of verses, verse 7, verse 16, ask and it will be given to you in the context here. Just go home this afternoon and come to the front afterwards when a few of us will be glad to pray with you and say, please can you pray with me that I will have fullness of joy in Christ, fullness of joy in you, and a servant-hearted sacrificial love for my fellow believers. Ask him. Ask him. And then finally, uh, we are to bear fruit by being pruned. At which point the preacher goes into all sorts of illustrations about the fact they're not a gardener and blah, 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 blah. I think we all know what it means, don't we? Here's a couple of pictures. Where are my pictures of pruning? Can you help me, Doug? Ah. So, you know what happens with a vine? It's pruned in two ways. It's pruned in the summer with a little pair of secateurs. How does that happen? What's happening in the last 30 minutes? Just... But the next picture, that's kind of winter pruning. And, and that's hard in our lives as Christians. Over a period of time when there's hardly any fruit and you're cut right back to the quick, 
It's not easy to, to be in that position. Radical pruning. Let me just quote to you from Amy Carmichael. It's a great quote on pruning. What? <laughs> this is the noisiest building on earth. What prodigal, that's a good word, waste it appears to see. Scattered on the floor, the bright green leaves and the bare stem bleeding in a hundred places from the sharp knife. But with a tried and tested husbandman, there is not a random stroke in it all, nothing cut away which it would not have been a loss to keep and again to lose. Let me just explain. I know we're finished in terms of time, but I'm going to do it anyway. What's it like in a Christian's life, this radical proof. What's it actually like? From my experience pastorally and personally, something is majorly wrong in your life. It's holding you back. It's limiting your fruitfulness. You know exactly what it is. God, because he is a loving father, will not let you off with it. Because he wants you to have fullness of joy and servant sacrificial love. And it can be a long time of pruning until you say to Jesus, okay, I accept it. Now there's something to come and pray about at the end, perhaps. But let me leave you with this, not with Jesus' words about pruning. Go back to fruit, Doug, can you? There we go. How much fruit does the Lord Jesus want us to bear? Every one of us. More fruit, verse 2b. Much fruit, verse 5. Much fruit, verse 8. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Jesus wants every one of us to have fullness of joy and to be sacrificial and servant-hearted in our love for one another. And it's there in this church. Let's pray that it will well up more and more. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this picture of what it means to be fruitful. Thank you for the reminder of what fruitfulness is. It is joy and love within a church, joy in Christ, joy in one another, love for one another, not joy and love that imitates Christ, but Christ's joy and love in us by the Spirit flowing out between us and among us and from us. 
Help us, Lord, to think, remember how we are to be fruitful by abiding in Christ, by obeying your words, by praying, and by pruning. And if there are those here, Lord, who are being pruned right back or need to be, help us, Lord, to submit to these divine secretaries and be rendered thereby fruitful, all for in the end, your glory and your honor. For those who aren't yet Christians, we pray that today has described in an attractive way what it means to be a Christian, someone in whom Jesus lives, someone who is fruitful not to be saved but because they are, and someone who can know real joy that is not circumstantially dependent and who is called and enabled and equipped to live a life of servant-hearted, sacrificial devotion to others. What a good and rich way to live. Help us, enable us to be like this more and more for your glory and for our good. For Christ's sake. Amen.